I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Okay. Hmm. It's Friday night. Uh-huh. We normally record Sunday morning. This true, this true. But there's a lot going on. <laughs> so trying to wrap this up. Ooh. Free up some time. <laughs> mm-hmm. We'd like to say thank you to all of the people who support us on Spotify and other channels. You know, people send us money on Venmo. And uh-huh. so that's really, that's always a nice surprise when I see an email like that. <laughs> it's like such a random, like, surprise and delight. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see KTLA reported last week that the, uh, that Bruce Willis is rendered incommunicative by his disease oh i didn't know i didn't see that so the person who created moonlighting which is the show he was on in the 80s with yes, sybil, sybil. shepherd um this person's name is glenn gordon Car- karen he said that he went to visit him um because now moonlighting is available on hulu mm-hmm. so he wanted to go talk to him about it and tell him and he says he visits with him not infrequently but it is this person, the creator of Moonlighting, who said that um, he's uh, unable to communicate because of his disease. Aphasia, right? Aphasia and like some type of dementia sure. that is obviously progressive. He was diagnosed with that like early last year. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't look good. And then I saw a picture of him and he looked, he looked, oh, he was missing a tooth, mm-hmm. like a front tooth. But he looks like him, like he looks fine, but um, that was pretty upsetting. Yeah, that's sad. Meanwhile, Demi has uh, maybe is a succubus and inherited his life force. Because Demi looks fantastic. She had a full overhaul. Oh, yeah. Well, it's not the first overhaul she's had. Uh, no, yeah. but she, uh, yeah. I, I think her stylist is Brad Goreski, and he was posting stuff about her, mm-hmm. like images. Well, She the, looks amazing. The monkey glands are working. Yeah. Okay. So moving on to the restaurant section. <laughs> we went to go see a movie with, oh God, the about the gay guy who sees dead people. The gay guy who sees dead people. Oh my God. What is the name of this movie? All of Us Strangers. Okay. <laughs> That's a way to describe it. Uh, well, right? He sees dead people. Uh, yeah, well, a little more intimate but yes mm-hmm. but um he we so we saw that at the lomley five and uh, on sunset so it's like sunset and crescent heights mm-hmm. it's that plaza that has like a salon republic and crunch fitness like the one crunch in la is there but we ate at this place called bb.q chicken bb.q barbecue yeah, but they mm-hmm. spell it that like, you know. Sure, but they you know. they they interrupt the BB and the Q. When you walk in, it's like the menu looks like it's Korean barbecue. Mm-hmm. But then they do that thing which I want to get into a little bit more where they also sell food from another restaurant. So like it's BBQ chicken and they have like Korean barbecue and they have like the uh bulgogi like rice bowl and mm-hmm. you ordered that fish paste pasta chewy thing but then they also sell smash burger yeah but it's not like an official like dual restaurant affiliate it's not no it was just they literally had like a sign that looked like they printed it from someone's 
printer from the 90s because it wasn't even in color and it just said like you can get these smash burger that's com- the second restaurant we've run well into we're going to talk oh, about okay. that but okay. um yeah i that particular spot in that plaza because we've lived here almost th- 13 years now mm-hmm. that plaza has been many restaurants yes or that spot has been many restaurants over the years oh god the cat's upset but um i don't know why it has such a hard time because that plaza is well populated there's a starbucks of course salon republic's been there forever and then the uh the crunch fitness is popular the parking's easy enough parking's easy enough there's a trader joe's which is always busy mm-hmm. a cvs now I, back when we moved here that wasn't there that's right but for some reason that one particular spot for that restaurant just struggles and then this restaurant i was not impressed well because it's not really it's not like a nice sit down area like that's not that it's that it's you want to get something fast when you're frequenting something else that's in the plaza is how it feels the pricing was for like a like like a nicer sit down restaurant i mean 18 dollar boneless chicken wings mm. yeah it, for eight boneless chicken wings that were not that great uh, like these are not eight full tenders. They were like eight nuggets. They were like chicken chunks for $18. Mm-hmm. My rice bowl was okay. Okay. The meat was a little fatty. There were no vegetables in it. And the rice looked like it had been there all day. Cause it was. And then you ordered that thing that was like, mm-hmm. it, it's almost like gnocchi, mm-hmm. yep. but it's like fish paste. The fish paste, the the fish squares were different oh, than, okay. than those. Uh, Either way, I didn't like. I sampled it and I didn't like it. Did you like it? I did. I ate it all. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I wouldn't go back there. No, I wouldn't either. No, I mean, if I did, it'd have to be like in a pinch, and I'd probably order the smash burger. <laughs> yeah, but then we we ordered from this place on DoorDash called um, Dirty Burger, mm-hmm. and I made the mistake of thinking it was one of those uh like that food hub that's like in walking distance to our house like a block away mm-hmm. which, so we which i never i mean it's convenient and it's worked for us many times but i don't i don't like going there well we walked over there to pick up our food mm-hmm. and the guy's like hello stupid this address is not here so i have to get in my car we drive to this place which is like two miles away in koreatown and we're struggling because i don't see a restaurant called dirty burger so we pull up to valet and I'm like, Hey, I'm trying to pick up food. Have you heard of dirty burger? And he's like, Oh, that's that restaurant called 70, 77 Kentucky chicken. Uh-huh. So it's like this Korean and that like, was that's the barbecue thing. place that sells fried chicken, the side hustle, yeah. but their side hustle is to sell burgers. Uh, My burger was good. I wouldn't get that. They're not good enough for all that. Well, but then they were cold because we got there like 45 minutes after it was done. I thought the meat was flavorless. Anyway, I want to complain because this is not the first, second, or 10th time this has happened where we order food and we get there and the name of the restaurant, like it is not that restaurant. They're just selling food under that name. And one time I complained and got a full refund. It's a mirage. Because when we lived in South Bay, there was that one mexican restaurant oh yeah i forgot about that, that we would go to sometimes mm-hmm. by like the bristol farms right mm-hmm. and the food was like mediocre yeah. but it was also priced pretty low so one night i say well let me order some food There's and I'll breakfast go- shit it was breakfast shit mm-hmm. 
and they were expensive yeah these breakfast burritos were like 20 dollars each one could even call them gourmet <laughs> so i drive over mm -hmm. you sure did and i'm like well where is this whatever it's called gourmet breakfast burritos it had a name like that actually yeah can't find it can't find it i'm like I, I call the number no one picks up so finally i think maybe it's this restaurant we've been to before with the mediocre like mexican food and it was and that was the first time i ever experienced that so we got home ate the breakfast burritos they were fine but i called and made a stink like this is so deceptive because i know this restaurant i'm a local i've eaten here before their food is a third of the cost mm -hmm. of what i just paid and the quality is the same but, that's but also... i don't know that because they're they're using a different name and then these uh the food delivery platforms they use stock images oftentimes mm -hmm. so that makes it look like it's this fancy thing well you're playing that upcharge for using the app as well sure but i mean in this instance it was more than double what they would charge normally for that same item but they're calling it a different restaurant I think that's such bad. It's kind of like having multiple personalities. Well, it's so bad because then it's like, it's a one and done situation. Like, okay, you got me once, but I'm never going to order from there again. I'm never going to order from. Yeah. Dirty but most Burger people, again. most people don't go get the shit. So that's they, true. they never know. That's that, that is a good point. We usually go get our food because I refuse to pay the extra. Cause even for our dirty burger, dirty burgers, the service charge and tip were equivalent to what the burgers were mm -hmm. yeah so it's like well this is ridiculous like i'm not gonna pay double when it's in walking distance to my house which it wasn't but anyway that was a lot on complaining about food we did receive a question so oh. you can try to answer oh how did you know getting married was right for you uh well i didn't i just knew that i wanted to be with this person and i wanted that statement to be official because otherwise and we've talked about this many times before as two men in a, a relationship people always just treat you like you're being cute boys and it's like no this this shit is my life and i want it to be official and there always there is divorce and to me divorce is part of the consequence of <sighs> You know that 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 was a choice you made and you you know if it doesn't work out you you have to pay the price but uh i also knew that we weren't ever going to have children but uh yeah i, I knew relatively soon after i met you that that was what i wanted yeah my answer would be that i didn't know like i'd be lying if i said i had a clear thought um but i think similar to you i I had dated enough that I knew that, oh, if you find, like to find someone special, you know, the other thing is I always say I'm a gambling man and I did live in Vegas for a long time. I've never had issue with gambling. Like you don't have to worry about me going to Vegas and spending our savings, but, um, my mind thinks like that. And I remember, th so I do remember thinking when you asked me that the, the odds of me finding someone better. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, it sounds crazy, but I'm, I'm that, that wasn't the best way to word it. But it's like, I'm not going to find, like, I think, like, of all the people I've met, this person felt so special. So the odds of that happening for someone like me, 
because you know we've talked about this before like i know a lot of people and it's not shading them but i know a lot of people who like you know they married the person i have family who like married the person they met when they were 19 20 mm -hmm. some of them like dated in high school so I, I think i have one cousin whose current wife he met in junior high mm -hmm. and they seem very happy and i'm happy for them but you know i didn't have the luxury of understanding dating and romance as a teenager but as an adult i had a lot of experience so i actually think that you know to have had the amount of experience i had and then meet someone who i thought was special was pretty remarkable so then this is where the gambling part comes in i thought well i'm not gonna this is something that doesn't come along because some of y'all married the first person you had sex with and then and, and that's i'm not diminishing it but it's like that is, is also special but to me it just felt like yeah you you, you should probably because I wasn't the one who asked initially, so so I'm re I'm giving the answer from the person who thought, well, what should I do? And then the second part of my answer is similar to what you said, because we both, I mean, I'm older than you, but we both, I'm sure you as well at that point, knew countless people who were in relationships and it just ends and they end so easily. Like people just separate, mm -hmm. sometimes without even a conversation they just move out or they stop talking. And I thought, oh, well, if I get married, then I can't do that. And I don't have a history. Well, that's not true. I mean, you know, it was easy to kind of ghost people back in my day because there wasn't like social media. Everyone wasn't attached to their phone. So it's like, oh, you called my house phone six times. I don't pick up. I mean, you'll probably get the hint that I'm not trying to see you again. But yeah, I think I just thought like, it's so easy for people to break up. Well, yeah. And then, you know, what happens when you do that, you never really grow as a person, as a communicative person in a relationship. If you break up as soon as things get difficult, I mean, granted, some people just shouldn't be together, but it, it's kind of, you know, not unlike uh, a personal trainer telling you when you work out, it's at the point you push yourself at the point where you think you're going to give up. Well, actually, that's the analogy I was going to use regarding like building muscle. You have to tear those fibers yeah. in order. And I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to say like deal with abuse, deal with bullshit. Of course not, no. But I would also say that too, that I think, and this doesn't sound very romantic, but it's like sometimes you have to force yourself to like work through something. And if forcing means well, getting married or owning property, you know, because even like the fact that we um, own a house together is like, well, it's not so easy for me to move out. Whereas I know so many people who it's just like when the lease is up, like literally they're just waiting for their lease to be up so they can move out. And nobody has the luxury of being uncomfortable. And at the same time, you know, everybody, everybody wants to be happy and, and, and I do too, but how do you appreciate being happy if you don't also experience being fucking miserable? <laughs> sometimes you which, say that a lot which i mean doesn't not make sense to me but well that's how you learn to appreciate you know oh thing things are good like what am i and whatever baggage because we all have some that we had to go you know you have to learn you have to learn how to be with somebody and not overwhelm them with whatever it is you've you've gone through your own defense mechanisms and blah 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 but uh yeah, yeah, you have to learn how to coexist with somebody that you have feelings for and realize that you're not going to have this great feeling of love every single day. I don't know.
I also think that, and I'm not a positive person generally, but I do think that if you're not excited to like share a life with someone, that's probably a sign that you probably shouldn't get married. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) you know, I, well, in a measurement to, you know, sex, like you can have great sex, but it can't be the only thing. Like if you find yourself outside of sex, not being able to kind of hang or talk or, you know, experience anything together, then it's like, well, you know, the sex part will go away eventually, or you'll become, you know, murderous lovers on a rampage or something. But yeah, I think also knowing that I was like, oh, I could, cause I had, you know, obviously like been in relationships before to varying degrees. And I never really saw like a future with them. Like in, in, in fact, I often thought like, oh, I can see myself not talking to you anymore. <laughs> like yeah. other people, I, I, or, you know, I don't know if I thought those exact words. I, what I do recall thinking about some people I dated prior to you was that, oh, you're never going to meet my mom. Yeah. We're never going to go anywhere. Like, this is never going to go anywhere. And I think being honest with oneself, like, do you really see yourself building a life with this person? And does does that excite you beyond just like, oh, sex is really fun right now or we party or, you know, he gets me in my weird thing that I like to do. Those are all important, I suppose, mm-hmm. but it can't just be the thing, like you said. And sometimes, like, as you like to say, it can't just be love either. Sometimes, no. you know, I don't... But, I, but I don't want to pretend like, oh, I had this well-formed thought about it. I just recall thinking I'm not going to do any better, like considering that I had had a lot of experience in like, this felt different. Yeah, it felt. I felt in a way. Well, you know, I was twenty three, uh, which looking back sounds crazy to me, uh, but I still remember how I felt in those moments in those years. And I'm very much the personality of that. Is um, you know, I I will I want to do this, and we will deal with. We will see where it goes. I don't know. Yeah, I I definitely didn't think about consequences i definitely didn't think about oh what are some of the challenges we might have well you can't possibly know no well i mean you know someone can you know the other thing i have to say is that there was no one to talk to there are no well there were the few the older gay men in relationships that you know usually of a different generation than my own that were together the models that i had available to me i did not want to emulate for the most part i didn't have any I didn't know any gay men at that time who were like in real, or if they were, it was like weird, like this does not seem healthy. Like Mm -hmm. the only reason I'm interacting with you is like a secret. And like, yes. Mm -hmm. So none of that felt good. There was no one to talk to about anything. So I think the fact that someone's even asking questions is a very good sign, like to kind of be prepared for, you know, I mean, they, they they didn't ask me like what to prepare yourself for. So I'm not going to answer all those questions, but I think having access to, you know, even with like the internet and like social media and YouTube and, you know, you can go on YouTube and find a gay couple who's been married for 10 years talking about their challenges. I couldn't do that when I met you. Like, like that wasn't, that wasn't something that would have been an option to me. So I think the most important thing is realizing that you don't need 
to model yourself or your relationship after anybody. It should be about whatever the two or three or more (laughs) of you decide how you want it to work. Like, does everybody have equity in this? Does everybody, uh, it's about communication. And that's the most difficult thing in the world is to communicate with anybody about anything. Uh, But you learn, because even if we're talking about words, and you both speak the same language, we both attach maybe slightly different meanings to certain words, et cetera, tone. It's, you need to decide what works for you both together and not worry about what anybody else thinks about it. Well, but to answer the question, I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Um, well, I didn't either, but you know, everybody will, else will certainly give you their opinion. But I felt, well, that's the other thing too. If you have people in your life who you feel know you and understand your history and like, I would definitely ask them because if anyone out there who's listening, if you know me and I know you a little bit and you want to know what I think about your shit, I will definitely tell you. (laughs) So I think that is also a helpful tool. Like ask your, if you're close to a sibling or a parent or your best friend or a coworker and, and they've seen your, uh, trajectory with this person you're considering you know marrying take their take their insight like don't because everyone always thinks like oh they're jealous or oh you're mad and i often joke like i don't take relationship advice from a single person or fitness tips from a fat bitch like but that's partially just me being funny i do think that people's perceptions or perspectives on your life do have some value of course and but use what works for you should be able to have control over what works for you or doesn't in that advice for sure but if your sister's your best friend and she's like boy you haven't you have changed so much in a way that is negative since you've met this person i think you marrying them would be a horrible idea you strayed away from all the goals you set for yourself before you met well them. yeah that's valid that that person has the weight to say that to you so that's what i'm go. talking about i'm not saying you you know your shallow friend who thinks that you know your new boyfriend you know his or ears you, are too big and so your kids are going to look weird that's stupid or your cishet co-worker who's like i can't believe you uh go out of the country without your husband it's like well we're not uh, Siamese twins. I don't know. So yeah. Uh, I rambled on a long time. We should move on to Mm. films released. We didn't cover. Mm, Always a lot. I'm surprised that you skipped the first one on this list. Butcher's crossing. Starring Nicholas cage. Yeah. He's been hit or miss. And I just, I have, I I have better things. I think I have a screener for this, but well, it's directed by Gabe Polsky, whose previous things are pretty good, including red army. And well, I can't remember if I liked the motel life with Emil Hirsch. I'd have to relook up the synopsis. But anyway, that released. You put down Deep Sky, but we're seeing that on Sunday. Well, yeah, the press screening's on Sunday, but... But it was released... Uh, today? today. I'm looking forward to it, even though it's uh, narrated by White Michelle Williams. Lil White Michelle Williams, yeah. So I'm not excited about that Well, you that don't part. have to see her. No, that's a plus. <laughs> God, I, I do like her. I don't... Usually. Dislike her. She's just not the Michelle Williams that comes to mind. Well, she was just named that. She can't when? have it. It's not I, like she came out during Dawson's Creek and be like, I'm going to take that bitch's name. No, no. I'm, well, and also I hated La La Land. Let's see who went. She wasn't in La La Land, girl. What? That was Emma Stone. Oh, have I been disliking Michelle Williams for no damn reason? No, you hated the Fablemans. I mean, that wouldn't be unlike me. Oh, no, but I I didn't like her before there, that. Oh, really? Why don't I like Michelle Williams? Rock Rock Mountain? What, what's the grudge here? She's usually 
quality to me. You know, to be honest to the world, I just like a lot of people and things unfairly. So this is true. Yeah. <laughs> You're not alone in that. That's most, most people. We're all biased in some way. Uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas has been re-released. Yeah. I love that movie. I've only seen it once, we like a, a year ago. It, right. Huh? We did a podcast on it, I think. We did? I thought it was a secret film at one point. Oh, see, I don't even remember. All I remember is there are kids in it that are cute. Yeah, voiced by Paul Rubens, one of them. Yeah, I like that. That's pretty much all I recall from that. What's this? What's this? And then, of course, and that uh, gay ass uh, Jack Skelton. No, the one who's like in charge of the kids. Mr. Boogie. Doesn't he seem yeah, he's like a homosexual? Yeah, like a big black homosexual. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember there was, him. There were critiques of that at the time. Uh, but that is funny. Uh, Danny Elfman, who does, voices Jack, I think performs this at the Hollywood Bowl every year. And I think that's about to happen now because it's Hall- Halloween-y season. But there have been charges against him of sexual misconduct. I believe it. I don't even know who he is, but yes, you do. I sent you a picture of him two nights ago and said he looked like somebody. (gasps) That's Danny Elfman. Yeah. That's what I I told you today. Oh, you know who he's married to? No. Bridget Fonda. The one who's let herself go. Yeah. Jane's uh, niece, Peter's daughter. Oh my God. That's Danny Elfman. Yeah. Whoa. I think these charges are dating back from like the late nineties and early two thousands, but I read a little I bit. I think about I'm going to post, you know how I like to post on our YouTube community page, what we're talking about in the podcast. I'm definitely going to use this picture you sent me. It's, I mean, that <laughs> is at the premiere of something from tw- that's that Wednesday, the Wednesday premiere. Do you know? Uh, so when were these charges made against Danny Elf? Uh, I think he settled out of court for the first one to the tune of like 830 some thousand. And then oh. a second woman has just come forward, I think, from the same period. I was reading vague details about it. And it, I don't know, like where, where there's smoke, there's fire. But who knows? Well, I don't even know who this is. But anyway. Yes, you do. He's an excellent composer. Oh, I thought he was an actor. No. I mean, he did voice this one character, but he's Tim Burton's usual composer. So all of those, the Batman score, uh, Beetlejuice. Looking like this, I can see how he might have some difficulties (laughs) procuring things in an appropriate way. I'm just kidding. Well, not really. Uh, The other Zoe. uh, God, I I was emailed several times with a screener for this. and The poster drove me crazy. I hate the poster art for it. Uh, Of course, don't judge a book by its cover, but it's ugly, girl. Uh, It's directed by Sarah Zandier. And I think the plot is something to do with this girl named Zoe and some boy in school, a football player or something, has amnesia and thinks she's his girlfriend or something. The other Zoe. Uh, Next, Pain Hustlers. You also passed on this. It's a Netflix film getting a theatrical release before goes to the streaming service with Emily Blunt and Chris Evans. Uh, Pharmaceutical something, something, something. And directed by David Yates, who directed a whole bunch of Harry Potter films and Fantastic Beast films. And I think the only uh, thing in recent memory that he's done is that Tarzan movie with Alexander Sarsgaard. But Pain Hustlers. The Persian version. I saw this at, at Sundance, which I covered remotely last year. And I think I had this on when you were home and you were entertained, but uh, about a group of Re- Iranian Americans. It's a comedic melodrama directed by Miriam Keshavars. I think it won an award. You know, I still haven't seen her first film, though, Circumstance, which is a lesbian drama from 2011. The Pigeon Tunnel. 
Uh, Errol Morris has a new documentary on Apple TV Plus, which I may maybe will find time for this week because he's a fantastic documentarian. Uh, but it's about John Le Carré, John Le Carré, the author, uh, in his life in some capacity. Lastly, Silver Dollar Road. Another great filmmaker, uh, Raoul Peck, uh, who's directed narrative and documentary films. Uh, notably, quite recently, he did that. Uh, one about James Baldwin, I'm Not Your Negro, that I think got Oscar nominated. But this is another documentary about a black family in North Carolina being, who's been harassed for decades by land developers attempting to take their waterfront property. Again, I was kind of surprised you passed on this. We need to take a small break. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Movies we watched for fun. <laughs> the Incredible Shrinking Man, Jack Arnold. That... That's the director. Remember, I have you wrote it all as one thing. Oh well, there's no punctuation. Okay, how would I know? I guess you wouldn't, would you? Go ahead. Anyway, uh, I've had this uh, Criterion Collection put this out. I don't know how many months ago, but I've had it sitting here. Uh, So tis the season. But yes, directed by Jack Arnold, who is a famous genre filmmaker. I believe he did Creature from the Black Lagoon. And uh, did he do the thing from another planet? I don't remember right now. But uh, this, you were in the living room while I had this on about the man who's exposed to radiation while on a boat with his wife. Oh, and they have they have him. (laughs) And he starts. It's like Lily Tomlin in that big ass chair. He starts. Yeah, with that big old apple next to him. (laughs) And this, which I think is a reference to this. Um, Oh, and he got mouthy with his wife. Oh, he sure did. When he was like the size of a Chucky doll. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you something. You. You act tough now, but let you get to the size of a Berenstein bear looking thing. I'm going to kick you across the room. <laughs> well, that's one not going to happen to me. And how do you know? It, that would never happen. To All the like shit me. you put in your body. Who knows? You All might... the shit I put in my body. You could start shrinking one day. <laughs> that's not going to happen to me. If you become two feet tall and you get this mouth like you do now. <laughs> He was yelling at her. He was, yeah. And she just stood there like I'm cause she he was mad that she couldn't change he wanted her to make their phone number like get a new phone number that's unlisted. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I tried, but they're busy and blah blah blah. And he was screaming at her and she just stood there. Uh you don't uh, dear listener, you have to understand that the way that I speak to Joseph is a reflection of how he speaks to me. So we both dish it out. Uh there is <laughs> you're not going to be the damsel in distress over here while I'm this uh, white evil entity. I don't think I need to sell that. I I think that you, (laughs) I don't need to paint any picture. You paint your own picture. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You're very difficult. It's obvious. You are also difficult. That's why we're a good match. Next X, the man with X-ray eyes. Oh, you know, I, Somebody sent us a big bunch of DVDs a couple months ago. Do you oh, remember that's that? Right. This Thank was you. in there, and I've never seen this. And I, I've wanted to ever since I read about it in Stephen King's. He had a like early '80s publication about. It's called Is it Das Macabre? About his love of horror films and cinema that's influenced him back then. Uh, and I remember him going on about this film, and it is. It's a Roger Corman film, which isn't usually a selling point. Or it is if you're looking for a certain vibe. Uh, 
Ray Milan plays this old bitchy man who's a scientist and he thinks that he's perfected this formula to turn these these drops that he puts in his eyes that give him x-ray vision so he can see down to the down to the bone down like ladies with their clothes off etc and of course he starts uh using these skills to uh go to the casino and rake up a bunch of money but oh, it also good. it also good. starts um mutating him in weird ways and i will say when his uh little sunglasses are knocked off in the end and you see his little silver metallic eyes it looks creepy mm. it was it is a creepy film but also it's kind of like claude rains and the invisible man where it's such an entertaining bitchy performance from an old man we watched the rage carry two directed by because there's no punctuation cat shay well, after i was uh shamed I'm going to try to figure this out. Oh, you were shamed. Okay. I was just accused of not using punctuation, but you were shamed. Okay. I mean, there is no punctuation. <laughs> because there are notes that the world I didn't see. say you don't all, all that you don't ever use punctuation. Well, I had to, it was a long day and I had to hurry through these because we're doing this 48 hours in advance, but. We love excuses. Uh, the Rage Carry 2. Directed by Kat Shea, who did Poison Ivy, which I believe we have a podcast on. Is that with uh, Drew Barrymore? Oh, and um, Tom Skerritt. No, the one who I kept calling Melissa Gilbert. Sarah Gilbert? Sarah Gilbert, who her character, she's telling everyone she's half black, the, <laughs> which is not true. We, we learned. Poison Ivy's trash. And the and Rage Carry 2 is trash as is well. garbage mama. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't even remember it. With Emily Burgle, uh, it, she was, it effectively carries half-sister that's right and amy irving who played sue, sue sue snell is the only surviving cast member uh to make it to this movie who is now it's, the school counselor it's like she never went anywhere else well and it's also basically carrie but like uh like updated for 20 whatever it was made 1999 oh, 1999 but yeah and then of course it ends with her at a party and shutting shit down and she gets killed. I mean, I guess the biggest difference. Well, no, even her mom. Oh, that and that's the great stage actress who who's married to Kenneth Lonergan, uh, J. Cameron Morgan, J. Cameron Mitchell. Yeah, the Rage Carry Two is embarrassing. Oh, it's like been, to it, wait twenty plus years to make a sequel to this iconic movie, and then you basically and show clips, famous clips from the from the, film. Yes. That they should be embarrassed. And about. I don't know what Sue Snell, like you said, so she just stayed in this, like, what? <laughs> what? what? As a guidance counselor? That's a, that's a, um, like a very great job, an important job, but it's just like all the trauma associated with this town and this, and then you stay here to talk to these badass girls. Like, and the sticking point for whatever, what's her name? It's not Carrie. It's, uh, Whatever Emily Burgle's name is, Barry, I don't know. Uh, who courts the attention of which London brother? They're twins. Is Jeremy or Jason that stars in this movie? Oh, that's right. Uh, Who's like twenty-seven years he's old? He's twenty-seven. Yeah, <laughs> uh, high school and he falls in love with her, and that's what gets everybody mad. Oh no! It starts with Mina Suvari, her best Mina friend, Suvari killing herself, jumping off of the like gymnasium with that scarecrow hair. She her hair is terrible, <laughs> but she did that because she slept with the guy from Home Improvement. That's right, and these boys are keeping. They're not just keeping like a 
they're keeping track of the girls they have sex with, but they're giving them like, like there's a point system. So it's like a game. Uh-huh. I actually think that would make a good story. These boys who are playing this game by having sex with these girls. Well, it's very cruel. And he rebuffs her the next day at school. And of course she throws herself off the roof where there's a garden that other students are tending. It, this movie felt like someone who's never been to school. Yeah, <laughs> wrote about a school. I would recommend it if you want to see something trashy and you're with friends. I'm- you need you need to watch this with people. You shouldn't inflict this on yourself alone. Uh, but uh, you know, I remember seeing the theaters in Northern Minnesota the year it came out, and that was ninth grade. But uh, it's and then they do they do Seuss, they do Amy Irving like they do Ellen Burstyn in the new Exorcist film. Like you brought her back to do that to her, yeah, because they kill her randomly. She has a horrible death. Yeah, she's a horrible because she gets like a like a fire poker through her, through her eye, head, through, through her the peephole, or through. Her, yeah. Anyway, we and, were yeah, and then the whole freak out where she gets the rose tattoo while she's becoming set when she's unleashing her powers. Oh, it's like does that tattoo go away? Why did that happen? Oh yeah, her tattoo. <laughs> that was so dumb. It's just dumb. Moving on, we went through a little phase because we watched Final Destination 2 and Final Destination 3. Did we watch them back to back? On separate nights. Oh, separate nights. But we watched three first. Oh, that's right. Because to <laughs> I, I think I saw the first one when it came out, but I need to rewatch it with Devin Sawa. But to date, before this week, I'd only seen Final Destination 5, which I hated. Also, we still need to watch the original. And and number four, which is called the final destination. Oh, um, the pre- I don't remember which one I liked better. I don't remember them really. Well, final destination two is the roller coaster. Oh, I liked that one. Really, I thought that was terrible. What was three about? Three was. Oh wait, three is the roller coaster. Sorry. Yeah, three I liked with Mary Elizabeth Winstead as uh, the lead. The girl with the dark hair. I don't. It's the one with the roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, but, but what was the second one about? The second one was the truck on the highway with with TC Carson. Oh, oh God. And he was dressed so gay. <laughs> I think I liked three better. Three is much better. I don't remember. Two is pretty. And uh, what's her name from six? The pregnant lady from Six Feet Under. Oh, God. Who's now know. in that series, the, hor- the Horrors of Dolores Machado or whatever. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, that was that was because the really boring white girl is the lead in that. In, well, we're going to end up watching uh, one, four, and yeah. Moving on, you watched The Raven, not the Roger Corman classic, because I haven't seen all of the ones he did with Vincent Price, all the Poe adaptations. The, you know, The Raven's a poem, and uh, they somehow crafted a plot about a magician played by Vincent Price, who uh, is needs to turn. Peter Laurie, who has become a raven uh, back into human form, and that's combined with elements kind of of Poe's poem Lenore. This was a snooze fest. I hated this. I did not like it. Oof. Oh my gosh. You had on a movie called Angel Eyes, <laughs> and I came down like maybe halfway through, and I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> that shit was terrible. It's really bad. It stars jennifer lopez and jim caviezel and the story well relates to our secret movie kind of well not really well it's funny i watched this on the same day that i rewatched all of us strangers which there are some themes yeah actually the three movies are kind of have similar themes but angel eyes is about this jim caviezel plays a guy who killed his wife and child not even they just got in a car accident that he did not cause right yes he 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 was involved in a car accident where his 
child and wife were killed and now he's under like he has this extreme grief and he's sort of living a life like and he's the th- he buys groceries and receives therapeutic treatment from Shirley Knight who's wheelchair bound and he has changed his name to just being Catch yeah and Jennifer Lopez plays a woman who is a police officer in Chicago in Chicago and she meets him and they start he saves her life Oh, that's right. And then they start dating and he he's like a red flag factory. Oh, yeah. When she goes to his house and sees that all of the drawers in his kitchen are filled with children's toys. And then he barks at her for snooping. Do you know how fast I would have been like, write my phone number down and mail it back to me? Immediately I would have been gone with that creepy ass smile he has. Well, I would. I think he's handsome, but I would. Of course he is, but he's creepy. But I would have thought he's like a like Chester the molester. Like, why do you have all these kids toys in your house? So Jennifer Lopez's partner is played by Terrence Howard. Oh, I forgot about who you missed the first part of the film, but she's talking about something about how she needs some kind of relief. And he basically propositions her while they're at work. And she's like, boy, please. Oh, relief, like sexual. Yeah. He interprets <laughs> so it. So clearly as... he finds her attractive. Um, but so he's like super suspicious of catch. And he's like, I ran his name through the system. There's no record. What year is this movie? 2001. But it's like, yeah, his, he doesn't even have a surname that you know of. It's so dumb. It was directed by a man who I believe is Mexican, Luis Mandoki. But in the nineties, he had a bunch of, films that i'm sure a lot of people know or remember including the meg ryan alcoholic movie when a man loves a woman <laughs> uh, message in a bottle with robin wright and kevin costner and then right around the time he did angel eyes he did another terrible movie called trapped which i remember driving 45 minutes out of the town i lived in to see starring charlize theron and her then boyfriend Stuart townsend god i want to say is somebody like courtney love in that jennifer lopez has that awful like Ugh, she has that, the Jennifer that Aniston honey blonde airdo. Well, which you know, when she, she in two thousand one, that was like my love don't cost a thing era, and like you know, she wears a lot of extensions. So when it's done up in two thousand one, it looks better. But here, it's like more like her natural length. Well, and she's blue collar density, so she has this thin ass ponytail with all this breakage around her hairline she looks crazy well it's all one color so like her face and the hair and her backstory is that her family hates her because she called the police on her dad one night for beating up the mom and he never forgave her and get this the parents are renewing their wedding vows and there's all this contention about whether jennifer should show up and her mother once again her mother is played by the great sonia braga who's wasted here just as she was playing jennifer lopez's mother in shotgun wedding anyway so you got the chance to do something kind of fun i did so you were invited to see like a private personal screening hosted by malcolm mcdowell yeah for caligula the ultimate cut yes because i had i wasn't planning on covering beyond fest this year and at the last minute i noticed because this this actually premiered a can this new version and but i never have time to see can classic films and this is three hours and so I, at the last minute, I tried to get tickets for the Beyond Fest screening and I couldn't get in and I emailed all kinds of people. And so, yeah, out of the blue on Tuesday, I received a, a email that said like, hey, uh, we know you were trying to see the Beyond Fest screening. Would you like to come to this private event? So you can't post about it. Uh, no pictures. Uh, Malcolm McDowell. It's for like friends. Of As Malcolm we're talking McDowell. about it. Okay. Well, I mean, it's past. Oh, okay. Good. The fact now. So. For people who don't know, the original, when Caligula was released, because it stars Malcolm McDowell, Helen Mirren, John Gielgud, uh, Peter O'Toole. Um, it There were a lot of is, issues with um, 
a production, but what ended up getting released was basically like a porno because in between what these, you know, actors thought was them doing serious acting were like basically like porno scenes yep. spliced in. Because it was produced by what's his name? Gucci Guccione, the the owner of Penthouse. So of course people the people involved were embarrassed, but the film was kind of a hit. It made a lot of money. It made a lot of money. But all these years later, um, some film studio. Penthouse. Or Penthouse, sorry, had a bunch of film, like 90 hours worth of film. That was discovered in the Valley, yeah. relate Like in a storage unit related to Caligula. So the producer involved with this new cut put it all together, added it you know, what they did to this movie, uh, some, which took some AI uh, and lots of redubbing, I think. And it took three years. So Malcolm McDowell was there to introduce it. Mm-hmm. He had a few things to say. He hates the original producer. Oh, yeah. Because um, he he's like, I don't like to talk poorly about the dead, but that man died in a trailer park and his children hate him. <laughs> he also had a story about a woman who had been cast in the movie and then got Maria Schneider. Uh, he did say that he doesn't know if she was fired or she left of her own accord, but she was supposed to play Dr- Drusilla, his his sister, who Caligula has a very intense sexual relationship with. And I think that on the first day of shooting was a scene where he was supposed to grope her breasts. And she, unbeknownst to everybody in the film crew, went to the costume department and had them sew it up so that there would be no easy access to her breasts. And uh, I think the fallout over shooting that scene in some shape, way, or form, forced her to leave, um, which doesn't surprise that that story doesn't surprise me uh, because of what we all know now, what she went through on Last Tango in Paris. But with the butter, with the butter. Uh, um, what did you think of Caligula, the ultimate cut? It feels long, but at the same time, this is uh, they said it's like all new, never seen before seen footage. I have seen a version of Caligula before, and I remember several of those very OTT scenes with Peter O'Toole. Uh, so, but this is mostly new footage. But it's I, remastered as well. Yes. So it looks good. It, I think it looked great. Uh, I think it's a lot of fun. It does feel like a, an epic saga uh, of this crazy, insane person. Because if you don't know the history of Caligula at all, you need to look that shit up. Because I can't believe he wasn't murdered by the Senate earlier. Because oh. uh, he he certainly, I mean, I don't want to condone violence, but it's like they were doing that all the time then. So why didn't they do that sooner with him? But uh, the Helen Mirren, I think, is great. Um, uh, tools little part I think is a lot of fun uh, yeah I, I, I highly enjoyed it uh, notably Gore Vidal uh, wrote the script so I think a lot of what was cobbled together is probably also his original intention you watched Mad Love uh, I've seen this before it's been years and years and years it's a famous uh, film from 1935 directed by Carl Freund uh, starring uh peter laurie and this has been made i think there's a german version of this film too the hands of orlock i want to say um but it's it's about this doctor dr gogol who's obsessed with this stage actress uh, but she's married to a composer named orlock and he is in a terrible train accident and his hands are crushed and she knows that gogol loves her so she's like will you help my husband because all the other doctors can't help him. He sews uh, the serial killer's hands to her husband, and the hands have a life of their own and start killing people. But <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's very, uh, a very strange, bizarre film, but it's fun. Ooh, the Company of Wolves. Also a rewatch. I've only seen it once before. Uh, 1984 Neil Jordan film. That's kind of a dark fairy tale. I, I remember thinking at the time, 
20 years ago, ago when I saw it, it's a very dry frame story of Angela Lansbury, this grandmother telling her story that basically ends up becoming Little Red Riding Hood, but has some kind of Wizard of Oz elements to it. Uh, at night, some you saw some of the special effects of the werewolf transformations, including Stephen Ray's. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it looks really good. I love Neil Jordan. Um, I, I, it's it's a fun film. Next, you watched The Devil Doll. Also, a rewatch because uh, Criterion this month, in honor of Halloween, has released a nice, very lovely disc set of Todd Browning's works three of his films, including two of my ultimate favorites, Freaks and The Unknown with Joan Crawford. Uh, But I also have a copy of The Devil Doll I hadn't watched in a while. And I forgot how much fun this movie is, um, where Lionel Barrymore is basically in drag the whole time uh, as as an old woman because he's escaped from prison. The man, because he was wrongly accused of a bank manager robbing his own bank. The man that he escapes with is a scientist and they go to the scientist's house where the wife is and the wife, well, and the scientists have developed this formula to shrink people to like six inches uh, in a response for, to overpopulation. And the scientist dies and then uh, Barrymore goes, goes off with the wife and starts to use this formula to exact revenge on all the men that were respons- responsible for putting him in jail. Mm. <laughs> Lastly, I Walked with a Zombie. Uh, yes, a Val Luton-produced horror film from 1943 that's a classique, directed by the great Jacques Tourneur, who also did the first original Cat People, which is an, also a lovely favorite of mine. Uh, this is basically a reconnoitering of uh, Jane Eyre, uh, set in the West Indies. And this also has a lot of creepy little elements. And for like a 69-minute film, perfect. Hmm. Unfortunately, there are entries in the obituary section. Burt Young died. Yep, Oscar nominee, character actor mostly, but you've seen him for sure. I recognize him uh, from the movie Rocky. Which is his Oscar nomination. Which he was nominated for. I think he was 83. He was. And then just like how right after we did our live um, for Carrie and found out that Piper Laurie Piper died. Piper Laurie died. As soon as we finished our podcast, we find out Suzanne Summers died, mm-hmm. which um, she was only 76. Yeah, but she had had cancer for, remember, because she was, I remember when she was seeking alternative. She was really big into like um, alternative treatments and I know like hormone stuff. Mm-hmm. So she was like this, supposed to be like this health and wellness guru. Um, but yeah. I, I, she was a very big part of my life because when I was a kid, I would watch uh, reruns of Three's Company, mm-hmm. which of course she played Chrissy Snow, and I just remember thinking she was like so fun because she's mm-hmm. like the ditzy blonde, mm-hmm. and then of course TGIF. I oh, watched yeah. Step by Step. Step by Step was a big part of my and year, I yeah. just well because I had the biggest crush on like Patrick Duffy, Sasha, and Sasha the cousin, and then of course Suzanne Summers was so fabulous. Mm-hmm. I even had a thigh master that I got like from a thrift store. <laughs> so, and then I even uh, years like when I lived in Vegas, like well before I met you, um, I remember taking like because this mm-hmm. is before smartphones or so i remember getting a map and trying to find her home in palm springs mm-hmm. i did that with jessica lang and still yeah but uh yeah well i still never seen american graffiti sadly i need to watch that but uh serial mom is a go-to where she plays herself kinda. that's right mm-hmm. that's right but yeah it, that's pretty sad yeah 
Well, let's take another break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The secret film for today was your choice and you chose the 2001 film The Others. Mm-hmm. Directed and written by Alejandro Amenabar. Oh, I couldn't pronounce that. So oh, I, I, I might be mispronouncing that. That's no, a... you did a better job than I would have. Uh, well, this was his notably his English language debut. Previous to this, he had two excellent um, Spanish language films, uh, Thesis and uh, Abre los Ojos, starring Penelope Cruz. Which you like to say a lot. Well, you like to say, Abre los Ojos, Mi Padre es Loco. Yes. Which I guess is another movie? No, that's... Or you just came up with I Mi Padre I came up with that, because I also like to say, Hablo con ella. Uh, <laughs> Open your eyes, my father is crazy. Mm-hmm. And talk to her. And talk to her. Um, yeah, but... Uh, and of course, Abre los Ojos was remade as Vanilla Sky by Cameron Crowe which Penelope Cruz also appeared in starring Tom Cruise who produced this film because he was married to Nicole Kidman at the time this came together. So Uh, your objective was to choose a um, horror film because it's Halloween time. Why did you choose the others? It wasn't my first choice, but I'm supposed to write about it. It just came out on Criterion. Oh, oh, we watched the Criterion disc. This was the Criterion. What was your first, or do you not want to share your first choice? Uh, It was between Videodrome and The Haunting, the Robert Wise classic so the premise for this film in 1945 immediately following the end of second world war of the second world war a woman who lives with her two photosensitive children on her darkened old family estate in the channel islands becomes convinced that the home is haunted Mm -hmm. major spoiler alert if you haven't seen this movie and you don't want it to be spoiled then shut this shit off but it's Nicole Kidman living in this huge mansion in the Channel Islands, like they said, right after World War II. She lives there alone with her two children. Her husband left like a year and a half prior to go fight in the war and has not returned. So, of course, assume he's dead. And one day, some people knock on the door talking about, yeah, we're here. Like, we're your new servants, nanny, housekeeper, and a gardener. And Nicole's like, all right, well, let me show you what's up. Immediately, we know something's wrong because she's being very particular about everything. She's talking about like every time you enter one room, you have to lock the door behind you. There are 15 different keys for 50 doors. It's crazy. And then she's like, we don't have electricity and let's meet my children. And we go to meet these kids and she makes everyone shut all the curtains. She says her children are photosensitive. If they are um, exposed to sunlight, they will blister up and ultimately die. So this is not a joke. This is not a test. This is for real. But the story is very simple. We find out because Nicole becomes paranoid thinking that the house is haunted. And I guess it is, but she's the one doing the haunting Mm -hmm. because her two kids, they're dead. These three new servants, they're dead too. And oh, Nicole's dead Mm -hmm. as well. So... Ultimately, we find out that 
the haunting that she's experiencing is the result of the living people who are in this house. And they are experiencing a haunting as well. So they hire a medium to come because Nicole's daughter, she keeps saying that she sees this boy named Victor. Well, Victor's the living boy and he's the one who's seeing the daughter. So the ball drops, Nicole finds out that she's actually dead. And then another gag is that her husband does show up at one point, but we know that he like, he's clear. He clearly had died in the war, but Nicole, she killed her kids Mm -hmm. and then she killed herself. Mm -hmm. So it was like a murder suicide. And those servants, they had died 50 years prior from tuberculosis, Mm -hmm. but they used to work in that house and that's why they're back. So in the end, they just decide like, we have to learn how to live together. And that, you know, these hauntings may happen because when new people move in, they might see us, they might not, but we just have to learn how to live with it. The end. Yes. You had seen this movie before. I, the last time I saw it was in the theater in 2001. I remember renting this in Las Vegas, probably like 2003. And I'm sure I watched it on double speed like I usually did. Mm-hmm. And all I remembered when you put it on, because I didn't know what this, the, the movie was, so you put it on. Or no, you did tell me what it was mm-hmm. beforehand. Either way, the only thing I remembered was that the kids were dead. Yes, I knew they were dead. And then as it, my memory started coming back a little bit, like, oh, that's right, they're all dead. Right. Overall, though, I, I, I do think this is a good movie with good performances. I w- there are so many other directions I would have preferred. This is a movie where I think it would be served better as a book where we can build up to learning. They're dead because in this movie, immediately we know something's weird, mm-hmm. like immediately. And then because when the servants show up, they are <laughs> side eyeing everything and everybody like they know something's not right. Well, Nicole uh, says immediately, like the help left a week ago, they just vanished into thin air, didn't even pick up their wages because what i thought not the better story but a better way to approach the story we we got is i wish the film would have started with nicole because she's only been dead for a week then well in her mind presumably so i wish the film would have started with her with her previous servants in the house business as usual we see her arguing with the children pretty like heavily like she's fed up with them and then we see that it's the next day she goes downstairs and the servants are gone, but her kids are like really happy because in the end she, she's holding her children and telling them what happened. Mm-hmm. And she says, I don't know. I just broke and I grabbed a pillow. And next thing I knew I had smothered you to death. And then I grabbed a rifle and shot myself in the head. But then I woke up and you guys were laughing. And she thought God gave her a second chance. And she thought she'd been given a second chance. So I wish that's how the film would have started. Sure. So, so then when the ball drops, it's like, holy shit, that night in the beginning of the movie, when she was arguing with those kids, she killed those kids I, and herself. If this had been made by an art house director in the seventies, we would have seen that murder scene. I truly believe. I think <laughs> like we need Nicholas a little Rogue bit more. This. And you know, I really like Nicole Kidman, even though she, she's a, she's a strange bird now. And she makes some choice like well, the funny, that damn nine perfect strangers was terrible. It but. is. The funny thing is now she's about to be in a movie that's coming out in the next few months where she's playing a mother of the, of a child, the same age as these kids yeah. set, well, set in the same years that this was made. I know it's weird, 
but I like Nicole Kidman a lot. I, I do, do think that she is a very dramatic. This character is very dramatic. Well, she's given it. Rem- the opening reminds me of Mommy Dearest. Yeah, with this, I mean, with this little girl that kind of looks like the girl playing Christina Crawford. I mean, I would. I, I'm sure. I don't know if anyone agrees, but I. This is kind of like borderline camp to me. Oh yeah, yeah. She <laughs> she's impossibly difficult to deal with. Like you're, and then it's you know once you know the secret because. On our rewatch, is like God. Even in death, these poor people have to put up with this fucking shitty elitism. I'm just gonna go through my notes. 1945 on an island, no electricity. We have to lock all these doors. We can't open the windows. This lady's crazy. It's like it reminded me because I think I made a short of me talking about the movie, The Banshees of Inisherin, mm-hmm. saying how if I had to live like that, I would have cut off my fingers, toes, and everything else. Well, you didn't know any better. But when you live when you lived then you know that's a good point because even my mom who grew up on a farm in like central mexico the way she describes her childhood is like i would have gone well, insane well even the way Maybe that, that's why my mom is half crazy, i grew up but... in a small rural town and to talk about it makes me think if i had to go back to that yeah i would i would just check out okay who plays bertha the the nanny the older servant lady mrs mills isn't her first name bertha oh is it but they call her mrs mills throughout most of it but oh, that, that's that's the... what's on the tombstone Okay, that's the great Irish actress, Finola Flanagan. Yeah, her first name is Bertha. It's Bertha Mills. That's what I was thinking was her name. I thought, it, I think this movie should be remade, and I think June Diane Rayfield could play Bertha. Really? Didn't she look just like her? I could see that. But or I, June looks just like that lady. Well, you know, you've seen Finola and stuff. She terrorized Felicity Huffman in Transamerica. Oh. She played the... Is Bert Young in Transamerica? I think he is. I think he is. But um, and then of course was the mother of everyone from Tyrese to Mark Wahlberg and John Singleton's four brothers. Oh my! Uh, God. But she's been around forever. Uh, and I thought I I really liked all the scenes with her and Nicole. Really. So if you really don't know, things are weird. Like maybe by the end of the first act, Nicole Kidman confronts Bertha, and she's like, "Hmm, you know, I went to the mailbox today, and I got this letter. Okay." Well, it's the ad I put in the paper for help. Mm-hmm. The post, the postal carrier never picked it up. So how the fuck did you hear about this job? Well, she, and didn't, then, she didn't say quite like that. And then Bertha's like, well, you know, big houses like this, they always need help. So we're it, just wandering around. So we're just wandering around. like. But then it gets worse because then she's like, oh, but we used to work here. And then that's when she tells her, oh, we just happened upon this place. But, you know, we used to work here years ago. And then it, what the frustrating thing is, like, Nicole, her character, Grace, maybe because she doesn't give a, a fuck, doesn't bother to ask, well, where you been all this time? <laughs> then if that's not enough, Nicole is looking through stuff and she finds this photo album and it's nothing but pictures of people literally dead to the bed. Yeah. And she's all freaking out, like, why would there be this portrait of people sleeping? And it's like, she bitch, goes, are you that dumb? She like, goes, Mrs. Mills, what is this? She goes, oh, photo album. Yeah. And then Bertha's like, girl, that's the book of the dead. Like, back in the day, people would take photos of the dead, hoping that that would help, like, their spirits she's might like, come back. She or... goes, how could people believe that? Don't they know the Bible? Or something? I thought that was so campy, because it's like... Well, then she goes, here, get rid of that. I don't want it in the house. Like, bitch, can't you throw in the trash? Jesus. But, it's, but, but, but it's like, it's so clearly obvious that, like, Someone in this house is dead. Yes. And that's why we're seeing this mm-hmm. book. And then we find out they're all well, dead. Well, then she goes wandering off in the fog. 
And that's when the, the housekeeper gets really creepy and she runs into randomly her husband, played by Christopher Eccleston. Yeah, Nicole gets mad. Well, she's freaked out because she thinks the house is haunted and she says, I'm going to go find a priest. So she just starts walking down the road. And then, yeah, Bertha and the gardener get creepy because they're like, well, let her go because the fog will stop her ass. And of course, you're presuming like in the afterlife, mm-hmm. you know, like obviously you're going to be limited. So she goes in the fog, Nicole, she gets lost. And then she bumps into her husband, Charlie. And then Charlie's like looking at her like, bitch, I'm dead. <laughs> I just think it's also heavy handed. It is. And then uh, beyond uh, the other two, Elaine Cassidy, who played Felicia and Adam McGowan's Felicia's journey is uh Lydia, who's suffering from elective mutism. Um, oh, that's right. And then there's the gardener, Eric Sykes, playing Mr. Tuttle. The little daughter, was her name Anne? Yeah, it's Anne and Nicholas. I couldn't stand that girl. Well, she didn't oh, really do it. Both those kids never really did anything else. I thought the kid, the, the little boy, he was cute. I was surprised to learn that he hadn't done much else because I thought he did a good job. And I think the little girl, she did what she was told to do, but she was so annoying. You know what movie I think you would like based on what you had hoped this would be? Because watching it now, um, older, it reminded me of uh, The Innocence, which is an adaptation of The Turn of the Screw starring Deborah Carr, which is excellent. We played, reviewed a movie called The Innocence. Yeah, this that, that's a Norwegian film. This, oh, okay. is, this is the from 1961, uh, where about the governess who shows up and believes that the to care for these children and thinks that something terrible is going wrong. It's a great little ghost story. No. So that little annoying ass daughter, then the Nicole puts her now, now that the dad is back and he's like melancholic, like he just won't leave his bed because he's, he knows he's dead (laughs) and the kids are worried. So Nicole has the bright idea of like, I'm going to dress up the daughter and like her little, what is it? Her, her com- communion dress. I don't yeah. know. It looks like a little wedding dress for a kid. And then Nicole leaves her for a second, comes back. And the girl is now like an old lady. Mm-hmm. And Nicole tries to like strangle that girl. <laughs> she rips that dress off of her. And then of course, as we come to find that is the medium that's communing with the children. And that uh, medium is uh, played by Renee Asherson, who used to be married to Robert donut oh i thought that was a good scene when we finally figure out that like oh mm-hmm. the the living have found someone to try to commune with the the dead i thought that was good and the children keep saying that they keep someone keeps telling them the phrase come with me and i'm not sure but that could be a reference to a shirley jackson novel that's also about a medium that i've never read but oh wait no that's come along with me never mind then we find out that so all of the curtains in the house have been removed which I, th- I think it, it's very obvious, but it didn't hit me until you told me that. Because I'm like, how does the living family know they're being haunted? Like, what is Nicole and her children and the servants doing? What, what are they doing that is making the family who lives in the house afraid? And then when you said it, it made sense that they're probably seeing that the curtains are constantly being closed. Yeah. Because then towards the end of the film, we see that all of the curtains have been removed. In response, yeah, they're like, take these damn curtains off. So then everyone freaks out. The kids run outside. They see their gravestones. And that's when they realize. um, They see the gravestones of the help. Yeah. I don't think the children have gravestones. Oh, right. And then the help, because Nicole kicks them out Mm -hmm. initially. Well, like she pulls her rifle on them and makes them leave and they leave, but then they come back during, before they come back, Nicole, um, 
it, it appears that Bertha, the nanny, left a photo under Nicole's bed, and it's one of those Book of the Dead photos, mm-hmm. but it's the three of them dead, mm-hmm. like the servant, the nanny, and the gardener. So then Nicole really sort of like realizes what's up. And then, yeah, the end is just her telling the children what she did to them. And we're never going to leave this house. And then Bertha goes, do you want to make you a cup of tea? And that's the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. There is there are so many interesting things in this movie. I think it's a really interesting story with good acting. I just, I don't love the way it's constructed. I remember Nicole was double nominated at the Golden Globes this year for um, this and Moulin Rouge. Oh, oh, she did this and Moulin Rouge? Mm-hmm, the same Interesting. year. Interesting. Sometimes her wig looked a little wonky to me, but she looked amazing. I thought she looked great, yeah. Uh, what would you give this movie? Uh, and I liked how it looked. I think the production value is great. It was shot by Javier Aguirre's Robe, that I think is how you say his last name, who also shot uh, Blue Jasmine and uh, Abla Conea. <laughs> And uh, another Amenabar film, The Sea Inside with Javier Bardem, which I still have not seen. Um, I would give it three and a half. I did really enjoy getting to watch it. Oh, I also wanted to note that technically we are introduced to Nicole Kidman as a character who literally wakes up screaming. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that there's a great, well, it's not great, but there's a fun old film noir called I Wake Up Screaming with Betty Grable. I. I'm, I'm struggling on what I want to give this film. Give it what your heart says. What does your gut tell you? Three out of five. Okay, no one's going to judge you. You don't have to love it. Three. It was just because, well, it's hard because I knew part of the gag. So then I'm trying to put myself in a headspace of what if I didn't? How would I feel? And I keep thinking I would have clocked this shit immediately that something's yeah. weird. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Nicole so over the top was kind of driving me crazy. I really didn't like the daughter. I was getting annoyed that Bertha and her crew didn't speak up sooner. Yes, yeah, like, God, is it because you were so conditioned in your past life that you're still allowing yourselves to be treated this way? Because if I came back as a ghost, y- you damn sure I'm not going to be talked to that way again. Again, I think this would make a fabulous book. I think it's a film that works best the first time you see it. <laughs> sure. Well, um, that's all I have. Mm-hmm. So I will be unavailable for the next uh, week or so. Mm-hmm. So we are going to pre-record something for next week's podcast. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not sure what that is yet, but we will have something. And we have a couple of reviews coming out next week, right? I think just one. Oh, just one. Well, Deep Sky will come out. Oh, yeah. Probably yeah. The, so two. Deep Sky will come out the day this podcast drops i think just that and the holdovers i think while you're gone i'll see five nights at freddy's but you won't be here to record it uh and then uh the afi film festival is happening while you're gone so i'll be watching a bunch of shit there is there anything else you'd like to say no all right ta-ta